DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, presents Begin Again, The Spiritual Legacy of Venerable Bruno Lanteri, with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher was ordained in 1979 as a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. He obtained his doctorate from the Gregorian University, and he has dedicated many years to an extensive ministry of retreats, spiritual direction, and teachings about the spiritual life. Father Gallagher is the author of several books published by the Crossroads Publishing Company on the spiritual teachings of St. Ignatius of Loyola and the life of Venerable Bruno Lanteri. Father Gallagher is featured on the EWTN series, Living the Discerning Life, the Spiritual Teachings of St. Ignatius of Loyola. Begin again. The Spiritual Legacy of Venerable Bruno Lanteri with Father Timothy Gallagher. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Father Gallagher, thank you so much again for joining me. It's always good to be back. I say the word again. It's one that I hope that becomes a part of an important spiritual lexicon to begin again. Well, it was certainly central to his message, just an incredibly hope-filled message that no matter where you are in the spiritual life or in life, no matter what choices you've made, no matter what situations in which you feel yourself trapped and feel as though it's too late and you seem to be able to get beyond this situation, it just keeps repeating. In all of those situations, Bruno Lanteri will, will simply, gently, but insistently repeat, you can always begin again. There is never anything that stops us from turning to God, asking his forgiveness if we need that, which he delights in giving and gives the moment in which we turn to him, like the father who's watching for the son when he takes his first steps back toward him in Luke 15. And then beginning again, we can always begin again. As in all of our lives, there's usually someone who is helping point the way to that deeper understanding and maybe a teacher or mentor. The same would be true in his life, wouldn't there be? Great numbers of people many of whom we'll never know, approached him. In fact, during the time when the the French Revolution had overrun his little country of the Kingdom of Piedmont nestled up against France, and the heavy hand of the French police was, was over everything in the church. The, the minister for police from that section of Italy wrote to his superior back in Paris that most of the influential people in the city of Turin, which was the capital of his nation, went to him for confession and spiritual direction. Now multiply that by the countless humbler people, the shopkeepers and the the people who didn't make the news. Great numbers of them over his life came to him for confession. He heard confessions in a number of churches. He would go into the prisons to hear confessions among the wounded soldiers in the battles. And even at home, he was constantly available for that kind of one-on-one assistance to people can say how many people gained new hope, new energy for their life of faith through contact with him. He, he blessed a great number of people that way. Talk to us about the person of Nicholas Albert von Diesbach. He comes into the story because he was the decisive influence in Bruno Lanteri's young life and for 20 years. Those years that really definitively shape a person from when he was about 19 until Father Diesbach's death 20 years later. A fascinating story. I'm always struck by how, as I've taught about Father Lanteri and um, Father Diesbach over the years, 
Now, the Diesbach story always awakens energy. I think a reflection down through the years of the impact that he had on people. He was Swiss. He was born a Calvinist. At the age of 11, entered the military. That was common enough in those days. It would be a lifelong career together with uh, two of his brothers, and spent the next 16 years in the military. And it was there that he completely lost his faith. He was an avid reader. Reading was the, the new thing in those days. The Industrial Revolution had made printing cheaper. Literacy rates were, were increasing. Pamphlets and books abounded. And the Enlightenment ably used this instrument in its attack on the existing order of things, both the civil and the religious. People like Rousseau and, and Voltaire and Diderot and the rest of them. And these were the men that the young Diesbach read avidly, was convinced by their message, cast off his faith, embraced wholeheartedly that atheistic approach to life. The change came when, as a 22-year-old soldier now, he was stationed in Nice, which was then part of this little kingdom of Piedmont, became friendly with the family of the Spanish consul to the kingdom of Piedmont in Nice. And they could see the, the good quality of this young man and lamented the fact that he had no faith. And seeing that he was such an avid reader, left, as it were, by chance, but very much on purpose, a book about the faith in a place within their home where he would inevitably see it when he came to visit. And he did see it and did ask to read it and read it very thoughtfully, and that was the turning point in his life. He began to have new questions about the faith. He was always uh, reflective and thoughtful and thorough in what he did. Went to see a Jesuit in the city of Turin to whom he, with whom he shared all of his questions and doubts, found the answers um, satisfactory, and with his doubts resolved, entered the Catholic Church and a year later married the daughter of the Spanish consul in Nice. Obviously, both Diesbach and the family desired that marriage, and now that his uh, conversion removed the last obstacle, the marriage went ahead. Father Gallagher, isn't it amazing the countless stories we have from the lives of the saints, of those who were leading lives, whether it would be like St. Ignatius Loyola or or uh, St. Augustine, or even uh, Edith Stein, where they encounter a book, and they sit down, and they take it, and they read, and they ponder. And there's something really, something special that happens in that dynamic, isn't there? That's uh, that's a marvelous connection, because you're exactly right. The exact same pattern is there with St. Ignatius, and reading that volume of the life of Christ and the other of the saints, and uh, St. Edith Stein, when she reads the autobiography of St. Teresa of Avila, there is something about taking the time to read attentively through a book that has some kind of serious content about the faith or about life in general that does seem to create a space in which grace can work very powerfully. And even more so in the case, I would say, of Father Diesbach, because he never forgot his experience of conversion through reading a book. And that was the origin of his, his whole life's work, which then would become the work of the Venerable Ann Terry. And that was that here you have this incredibly powerful instrument for doing just what you said, Chris, for, for changing hearts and bringing people to God. And the same instrument in his day is being used with great energy against the faith and against an upright life of morals and belief in God 
and is undermining that powerfully, and therefore the urgent need in the church for people who will dedicate their lives to knowing how knowing books well, being good judges of them, knowing which books are out there, and then knowing how to get these into the hands of people so that something like what happened in his own life could multiply. That would become his life's work. Now, I think today we need to amplify that to the electronic media. In his day, what is today the Internet, Facebook, and, and, and Twitter, and websites, and blogs, and all the rest of it, television, all of these means which so powerfully influence uh, individuals within a culture, that was the book in his day. That was exactly what the book was doing. It was the nerve point of the transmission of culture and ideas, and it shaped and changed people's lives. And to bring Christ right there into the point in which culture is being shaped and lives are being formed, that was his, his entire life's work. As we look at Diesbach's life, at this moment of conversion, this, this uh, entering into a family, marriage, all those things. It looks like sunshine, doesn't it? And yet something comes along and shakes his world to the utmost core. It is striking in his life that, exactly as you say, everything seems set in his life at this point. At uh, 23 years old, he's married with a very happy marriage. He has a career. Everything is in place. He, he has a daughter, even. And then three years after his marriage, his wife dies in childbirth. And his daughter actually would die fairly young as well. And years later, Diesbach would write this in one of the books he published, that I have seen death destroy in the springtime of their lives those dearest to me. I can imagine that when he went through that, it must have felt like everything was being undone in his life, in the pain and anguish and the destruction, too, of, of everything that had seemed so in place in his life. He could not have dreamed that through the crucible of that suffering and dramatic change in his life, God was preparing a life work that would impact for decades to come hundreds and thousands of lives, awaken great number, literally about 60 uh, men and women are saints, blesseds, venerables, and servants of God in this Piedmont area in the 19th century. And all of this um, goes back to Father Diesbach, the movement that he started. This man could not have dreamed when everything seemingly fell apart in his life in such pain that God had in store for him an enormous good. Father Gallagher, in just this moment that, that you've described it, from this crucible, it, it actually is a, a moment of acute suffering, it, almost a, a part sharing in the Paschal mystery, isn't it? And so many of us even today go through those types of acute sufferings that uh, whether it be from deaths in families, maybe it might be deaths in life plans, you know, I mean, the things that we thought we were supposed to do, but it changes. Those moments can be moments of destruction, or it can be something that opens doors to something else that God has planned for us. Humanly speaking, they're, they're simply painful. But if we have a perspective of faith about life, then we have the hope, even when we're in the crucible itself, that all of this has meaning in a plan of providence. My guess is, Chris, that we generally see it only later in life, looking back on those times. 
In the moment itself, those times simply seem like destruction and the closing of doors and deep pain. And it's only often, I think, years and maybe decades later in our lives that we suddenly realize there was a pattern in all of this, that God was leading in a certain direction in our lives. I think stories like Father Diesbach can give us hope that uh, whatever God is calling us to go through, none of it is meaningless. All of it has a deeper sense. There is a love behind it that someday we'll see, at least in part. I am reminded as we're saying this of St. Augustine's words about this kind of thing, that in this life we see at least something through faith of how God works in such situations in our lives. It's only in eternity that we will we'll see it fully. But I think, as we're saying, that an experience like that of Father Diesbach points the way for us. It opens a door to hope for us. Through this moment in his ponderings, his prayer, he's led back to the Jesuits. It's an interesting thing that Venerable Anteri describes in a biographical sketch of Father Diesbach that the way Father Diesbach later said it to him was that because he owed his conversion both to the family of the Spanish consul and to the Jesuits, he thought that through his marriage and later his joining of the Jesuits, that he had repaid his debt of gratitude to both. So that's the way he said it. But obviously, I joined the Jesuits out of a deep conviction that this was the next step for him in his life. So how is it then that he would cross paths with Venerable Bruno Lanteri? After the young Diesbach was ordained and was now Father Diesbach, he was sent by his superiors to Turin, again, the capital city of this small nation of Piedmont, And he worked for a number of years there as a Jesuit until the Jesuits were suppressed. Now, it was by order of the Pope, Pope Clement XIV, but it was actually under enormous pressure from the Catholic monarchs, not the Protestant monarchs, but the Catholic monarchs of Europe, who saw the Jesuits as a strong bulwark against the advance of the kind of Enlightenment thinking that was holding sway increasingly pressured the Pope into ordering their suppression, at which point Father Diesbach remained in the area of Turin, but now as a secular priest, a diocesan priest. And it was there that he began a project that would take his inspiration, that is, the, the inspiration is essentially this, get fervent Catholics together, even in small groups, but fervent, deeply spiritual, deeply united, and let them, with great energy, use the means of the printed word to spread and support and give growth to the faith. Father Diesbach began this work in the city of Turin at the same time that the young Bruno, at the age of 18 now, after an attempt to join the Carthusians, which after eight days was ended by the superior when he saw that Bruno simply didn't have the health for that rigorous kind of life. Uh, the following year, at the age of 18, the young Bruno Lanteri went to Turin to begin his studies in philosophy and theology toward priesthood. And it was while he was there that he met Father Diesbach. This was the kind of thing that Father Diesbach was doing. He was very open to and available to young men, and in a particular way to young men who were studying for the priesthood, wanting to guide them safely through the theological and philosophical perils and confusions of the day. The young Bruno, together with one of his fellow students and seminarians, had begun to do a kind of reading 
that could have led him astray. It was tinged with Jansenism, which was a current of severity. It viewed with great pessimism fallen human nature. It viewed God as a harsh, severe, and strict judge. In pastoral practice, it might delay absolution from people with even goodwill, might delay it for months, sometimes for years, restrict access to Holy Communion and the rest. And the young Lanteri, together with his fellow student, was beginning to, to do this kind of reading when the, the witness that we have simply says that Providence disposed that he would meet Father Diesbach, and in conversations with Father Diesbach found a true balance in theology and in, and in pastoral practice. And that was the beginning of a, of a deep, deep bond of spiritual father and son that would, as I said earlier, decisively and forever shape the young Bruno's life. And as you've said, Father Diesbach is now a diocesan priest, no longer with the Jesuits. But do you suppose, Father Gallagher, that training with the Jesuits of that learning how to meditate and to contemplate, especially in the absorption of the word, was a part of that process that Father Diesbach would encourage in those he encountered? Absolutely. The only reason Father Diesbach was not a Jesuit was because there were no Jesuits. But in every way, he remained thoroughly identified with St. Ignatius, the Jesuit life and the Jesuit practice, and in fact, instilled a deep, deep love of the Ignatian spiritual exercises in the young Bruno. Certainly would have guided him probably a number of times in the Ignatian retreat. And under his guidance, the young Bruno fell deeply in love with the Ignatian spiritual exercises became a master of them in his own right under Father Diesbach's guidance, and later would train great numbers of priests to give these retreats. And the the good of that would go out in a ripple effect throughout Piedmont, so that from his encounter with Father Diesbach, the, the young Bruno became and remained throughout his life essentially Ignatian. Now, there were other elements in his spirituality. St. Alphonsus, for example, the Marian element, and a number of things. But fundamentally, he would always identify with the Ignatian approach to prayer, to discernment, to following God's will, to seeking God's greater glory, all of the things that are a part of that rich spirituality. I think an important thing that we can learn, particularly in this episode, in reflecting on the lives of Father Diesbach in particular, is the importance of choosing well the things we read because it can have a great influence on our dispositions and and our spiritual lives. Well, it's certainly a classic part of the Church's understanding of the spiritual life, what's called spiritual reading. We'll have letters later on of spiritual direction in which Father Lanteri, I'm thinking of one now where he's writing to a married woman, mother of six children, and he asks her to try to do some spiritual reading every day. And he says, even if it's just one page, try not to let a day go by without doing some spiritual reading. I've often thought, when I've shared that in homilies or in other settings, that if every member of the Catholic Church read one page from a spiritual book every day, you can just imagine the transformation that would come from it. As you said earlier, Chris, I think there is something special about reading, even in our digital, electronic age today, because 
In reading, we have time to absorb. As our eyes go through the sentences of a paragraph or a page, we have time to absorb the content that, that's there. There are no lack of good books, wonderful, well-written, rich spiritual books. I'm going to sound like Father Diesbach and later Father Lanteri when I say this, but if we could get every Catholic to begin reading just one page a day, or I'll say in our electronic age to take just five minutes to listen to a podcast about the faith every day, or an audio CD, or to watch something on Catholic television. The transformation that would happen is unimaginable. There is a great, great power in choosing the right book and absorbing the right spiritual content, yes. The key, isn't it, Father Gallagher, is knowing what the right book is. How would they instruct us to identify a proper work that is spiritually beneficial in accord with the heart of the church? That was the art that they were trained in under the guidance of uh, Father Diesbach and again later Father Lanteri. The way they would do this was each week when they met in their, in their weekly meetings, somebody would have read a book and would present a judgment, a summary of the book and a judgment on it to the group. And there with the guidance of a master, Father Diesbach, the, the whole group would, would get a feel for this particular book. Now, you can imagine them doing this week after week throughout much of the year and for a number of years. You can see them being formed in knowing that this is the right book for this person who has these particular spiritual needs. One of their criteria was that any book that they would approve was always would always be a book that was absolutely faithful to the teaching of the church. Uh, they would favor the writings of saints and the spiritual masters. We have a rich history of these in the Catholic Church, St. Therese, uh, on down the line. Uh, so they would begin, I think, in those places, and from there would, uh, would move out. It's fascinating to me as well that Father Diesbach would be one who could be considered, I think, a, a great role model for the new evangelization. because. He went into these coffee houses. He went into the places where the people were so it, to encounter them and to listen to them. It sounds like what uh, Pope Francis is saying, isn't he? You know, to go out mm -hmm. into the margins, to, to go beyond the places, to go outside of the sacristy and into the places where people may be removed from God. It was not a common thing in those days for a priest to do this kind of thing, to go into these public places that were considered hostile to the churches or places that were moving people away from the faith, to go into these places as a presence that would bring the faith through contact with these people. Now, Father Diesbach had the kind of personality, probably a combination of just the richness of his human temperament, but also the deep work of grace in him that was highly attractive. People, people just flocked to him. They, they loved to talk with him. Uh, there was a warmth and a goodness and an understanding about him that really drew people to him. So you can see him going into these places and easily making contacts that would then create the setting in which he could begin to move people toward faith. And it was not only this, but he and he had the young Bruno accompany him with this, would go out into what are the, the porticos of the city of uh, Turin, these public places on the edges of the streets where the poor would take at least 
such refuge as they could and would gather them, take them into his own rooms, feed them, clean them, warm them from the from the cold of the city, and begin to instill elements of catechism and leading them ultimately toward the sacraments. I think you could say that Father Diesbach's entire life was a life of new evangelization. It was bringing the faith into a culture that was rapidly losing it, going against the current, and doing it in such a way that um, it had a real impact on many, many lives. We encountered a young man who essentially had no belief and was a soldier and was very skeptical. And yet, look what his life would become in the number of lives and the, and the story he helped to influence as we continue on. That maybe for us, not necessarily judge a book by its cover or that the story isn't written yet. I mean, uh, how often do we sometimes either lament for our children who we think have gone away or we look at somebody and say, oh, they're, they're, there's no hope there? It is remarkable, isn't it, um, as you describe that, that humanly speaking, in his teenage years or in his early 20s, it would have been impossible by any human calculation to see that this man would become a priest, that he would give his life to God with such energy, become such a figure of holiness, and inspire so many others in his lives. There, There is here, as so often, I think, in the life of Father Diesbach, an enormous message of hope. And it may be that it's precisely because he could look at his own life and see how God could turn around what was seemingly so set in stone already in his life, could turn this around, warm it, melt it, bring it back to him, and inspire such spiritual life in him, that he was a man who knew how to inspire hope in others. Any final thoughts? It strikes me as we're speaking that not only did Father Diesbach experience what it means to be able to hope in the face of what seems so humanly closed and settled. But that we may touch there the origin of the energy and strength and rootedness with which he transferred that kind of hope into the young Bruno, who then in his own turn became a source of hope for many. In an age when there were so many reasons humanly speaking, not to hope, when the culture was falling apart in so many ways, when revolution and war were ravaging all of Europe, and repeatedly, year after year after year, when the church was persecuted and the pope taken prisoner and the cardinals scattered, when Jansenism with its heavy hand burdened even the hearts of those who wanted to love God. In the midst of all of this, here is a beacon of hope. And it may well be that the origin of that lay in Father Diesbach's own experience of hope as he saw how God could work so marvelously, amazingly in his own life. He then became that kind of hope for others. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Father Gallagher. Thank you, Chris. You've been listening to Begin Again, the spiritual legacy of Venerable Bruno Lanteri with Father Timothy Gallagher. To hear and or to download this conversation, Along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. Or you can find it on the free Discerning Hearts app 
located in the iTunes or Google Play stores. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Begin Again, the spiritual legacy of Venerable Bruno Lanteri with Father Timothy Gallagher.